G'day, Dominic Barfield here, and this is the RVC Research Podcast. Thank you for listening, and thank you for subscribing on your smartphone or generic fruit-based device. We're really grateful for you taking the time and download and listen to this RVC Research Podcast, and we don't ask for much in return. So we'd be incredibly grateful if you could pop to Apple Podcast or Acast and leave us a review. A five-star review would be great. Other other reviews you can you can give to other podcasts, but we really appreciate it, a couple of minutes of your time to do that. So this is the Research Podcast, so Veterinary Science on the Move, um, so that little symbol that has the RVC logo and a, and a cow um, with some uh, with some earbuds in so 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 that's that's the one to uh, write a review of obviously we'd uh, we'd love you to go and listen to our RVC clinical podcast as, as well um, and that would be great as well so today we're joined by Jess Roach so Jess is a PhD candidate candidature um, and you've already listened to one of her PhD supervisors Mandy Demestra we hope you enjoy. Are you do you call a PhD candidate? Is that is that what you you're meant yeah, to say? Yeah, I call myself. Uh, I guess a PhD student. A PhD student. Say. Okay. Um, and uh, and Jess, what what are you? Uh, what, what is your your area field, or what is the title of your PhD thesis? So, is that the way it works? Yeah. So my title it's a little bit convoluted. I guess I'm trying to make it snappier, but um, it is look. It's the environmental and. Um, oh, I guess environmental and I can't think of the word genetic contributions to um, umbilical cord torsions as a cause of abortion in thoroughbred mares. That's quite quite uh, quite specific, isn't yes, it? So yes, yeah. So it's um, in general it's in equine reproduction, but it's looking specifically at twists in the umbilical cord causing abortion. So okay. So before before we get to talk a bit more about that and mm-hmm. how, how you're going on about that, so, so you're an, an RVC grad, yes, um, and then uh, you did you dabbled in a bit of research as a as a student, did you? yeah. So I did my RP two um, project, which is sort of the long one that we have to do in uh, rotations, and I did that with. Um, so doing di- diagnostic imaging, um, I, I I kind of wanted to do something which could potentially be published because I was humming and hiring about doing a residency in equine um, medicine or something at a later date. So I thought by getting something published at an early stage, it sort of set me up well and that could be my sort of research experience ticked um, at that stage. Um, but doing it, I found that I sort of enjoyed it a lot and so that's sort of where it kind of started off and went from from there so you see so when you're a student you were, you were clear on a, an, an equine uh, focus that's <laughs> sort of where you wanted to go was it? um i started off so sort of as the whole like six-year-old i want to be a vet i always wanted to be an equine vet um and i continued that sort of up until probably first or second year and then i found that i think because i think our teaching uh probably bad thing to say i really enjoyed our small animal teaching and I felt really confident in our small animal stuff and so I think I lent more towards small animal during the course because I just felt a lot happier in that whereas sort of because I think early on I we got a lot of small animal experience and I was really focused on that because I knew it was sort of a weaker side whereas I had the equine experience and then I think sort of my small animal overtook it overtook my equine sort of experience and then so I became happy with that so I almost fell into small animal practice but then I went and did some um, rotations in the states in my last year in equine practice like a really big equine practice and just like fell back in love with equine and ended up sort of following that path. Do you, do you think that's not necessarily uncommon that people um, chop and change or, yeah. or think that think things might be yeah. m- more attractive I, I suppose? No I think definitely and I think a lot of people from just sort of my general experience when we all started everyone was like oh what are you and everyone was sort of farm and equine and small and then and it was pretty evenly spread and then I think by sort of the end a lot more people were into the small animal side um 
but and there were still some people who were very sort of set on their ways but I think people change all the time but you almost get pigeonholed I think when you start by you say I want to do this and then you become sort of the equine person or the small news person so yeah <laughs> I, think I wanted to uh, I, don't, I think I just wanted to be a vet at the end of the day but my, my <laughs> last so, so similar we, we, we spent uh, our fourth year in in, in um, the small animals and then and then our final year was actually doing farm oh. and equine more <laughs> so, so after that I, I wanted to be a cattle vet yeah. I with a guy who's quite inspirational called John House, and and uh, it's was, it was great, you know. Mm-hmm. And cattle is, is fun, so so, uh, so that was good. That it always seems to be that like the last thing you do is the thing you're most sort of happiest with, the most confident, and then that's what the thing that you want to go with yeah. until you find something new, and then you're like, this is it. And so, so after you graduated, you you, you did a couple of equine specific internships. Yeah, so I did. Um, I kind of again, I fell into one internship in the states. Um, a classmate of mine, she had got given, she had um, got a internship in New Jersey and they were still looking for a second person so sort of really last minute I think it was about a two week turnaround I applied for that and got that one um, and sort of was on a plane off to um, the States so I did that for a year and then my sort of plan um, sort of since my time in Kentucky I decided that I wanted to apply for the internship in Kentucky and so I applied for that during my internship in New Jersey and then ended up getting that one and doing a second one. So see, see that seems like quite a weighty, uh, like clinical experience. Yeah. <laughs> and I suppose, are, are you in your mind? Are you like gearing up to to do um, more of a, more of a residency or yeah, more I think training. Yeah, I I wasn't sure. So after my so my first internship was an orthopedic surgery internship, and so off of that, I almost didn't apply for the Kentucky internship, which was an ambulatory internship. Um, and almost applied to go into surgery because I was like, oh, right, I've enjoyed this. Again, it was the thing that I was doing at the time and I was enjoying it. Um, but then I remembered how much I enjoyed my time in Kentucky. So I was like, no, I'll stick with that and sort of do that plan. And that will at least give me, I guess, the foundation if I did want to then apply for a residency. Um, but I really enjoyed myself in Kentucky. I was at Rood and Riddle under, I had sort of three bosses and it was like a ridiculously busy year, but it was like, it was probably the best experience. Um, and I, so I really enjoyed that and I wanted to, sort of follow through on that and that was really um stud medicine weighted which is something that I sort of discovered later in my vet course um and really so really enjoyed that and kind of I didn't know whether I wanted to do um maybe like a theory genealogy residency which um they do there's a few sort of offered in the states or whether I wanted to go directly into sort of stud medicine practice but that was sort of the outcome of my year in Kentucky Okay, and so and so, what 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 led you to apply to to do a PhD or or that that sort of research? So yeah, so during my time when I was at um, Rude and Riddle, I did a research project with um, the two of their theory genealogists. So um, Etta Brady Camp and Mariah Schnobrick, they sort of uh, Mariah pushed me to do a project because she knew that I was sort of interested in it and she'd shown a bit of interest during my um, like EMS time there. Um, and so I did that and then again I really enjoyed that and I really enjoyed the um, my RP2 but I didn't really kind of put it together into doing a PhD um, and then my um, boyfriend did he applied to do a PhD um, he was sort of applying for um, small animal residencies and PhDs at the same time and got awarded a PhD and like loved it and I was always like oh no like, I could never do that that sounds sort of way too much I really enjoyed the clinical side um, but sort of the more he went through it the more I could see aspects of it that I would enjoy um, and so then when I came back to the UK I was um, I got a sort of job in practice sort of doing clinical ambulatory equine work um, but it was always kind of keeping my eye on the sort of PhDs that were coming up and sort of what was going there because um, just sort of seeing what was about 
Um, and then when the equine reproduction one came out, it was just like the perfect, like, I guess, perfect storm type thing. Like I was at a time when I was ready to leave my job, my clinical practice job. It, um, it was at the RBC, which is where my partner was, and it was just in equine reproduction, and it was under um, Mandy Nuestra, who's sort of had done a lot of equine reproduction research and sort of supervised PhD students. So I was looking forward to, hopefully, it would be create the perfect position. <laughs> and, and so, uh, like applying for for um, uh, PhDs, is was that a pretty sort of straightforward process, or or, or was it a bit convoluted? Um, I think I was quite fortunate in sort of. It came, so the position came up and it was a really short turnaround. Um, I think it was sort of two weeks from when I saw it to when the applications were due and stuff. So I think the hardest part for me, I think, was getting my references. So trying to get my rep band bosses in the States to reply with references and stuff. But um, for me, I only applied for the one PhD that sort of came up. Um, so I applied and then I found out they got an interview and then interviewed and got the position. So I think it was a very intensive short period of time. I think I spent like a day just writing my whole application and sort of tweaking bits. And I guess as you do, like sending it to your parents to have a look at and then sending back. Um, so it was intense for a very short time, but there wasn't, because it was the first PhD I was applying for and stuff, I don't, I guess I didn't really expect anything to come of it almost, or I like, I was very hopeful that I'd get it, but if it didn't, it wasn't, I had realized that it was the first opportunity that I'd applied for. So maybe I needed to go back and, try again harder so <laughs> and, and and pretty early doors in in what you're what you're doing but um but what, what is your, your sort of day to day to day uh, like so my date so my project is um it's kind of split into three different sections so i have an epidemiology part portion of it a pathology portion and a genetics portion and so at the moment it's been um this year's been quite focused on sort of creating methodology for all three and sort of thinking about what my questions are for each section so I'm looking to sort of update the incidence um, of abortions in general in thoroughbred practice and then sort of really define the pathology that we see with umbilical cord torsions and then at a later date it's going to be looking at whether there's any genetic um, sort of influence. Um, so my day-to-day -day at the moment is can be very varied so I'm collecting data in new markets I'm sort of back and forwards between practice um, a couple of diagnostic laboratories there and I so for some days I'll be um, doing sort of post-mortems with the pathologist there other days I'll be on studs collecting data from their sort of breeding records other days I'll be trying to figure out how SPSS works other days I'll be sort of reading papers and sort of meetings and stuff so it's really I'm I think I'm really fortunate and I really enjoy that side of it, that there is so much variation. Um, but sometimes it can be like fingers in lots of pies type thing. Like I need to focus on some things. But I think it will, this first year has been very much getting everything sort of set and set and moving forwards. And then I think the next three years can be a lot more focused on answering each question once I've got the um, data. Fair enough. And with the, with the actual umbilical cord um, torsion, so, mm -hmm. so is that the, one of the most common causes of abortion in, in thoroughbreds? Yeah, so in the UK it's reported that, um, some, so from a diagnostic lab point of view, they report that about 40% of um, their abortions that they see are umbilical cord torsions, but there's a, there's a huge geographical variation. So in the States, I think it was a slightly earlier study, but it's about 4.5% of what they reported were umbilical cord torsions, which is a huge... There's sort of sample differences and stuff, but that's a huge variation. That's like 10 times as many that we see. Um, so that's one of the things that we need to look at in more detail as to why we see this variation. So is it sort of climactic differences, management differences, or is it sort of pathologist biases and differences in what they recognise? Because it is quite... Um, 
I guess, ill-defined at the moment. So there's a few things that people see, but it's a very subjective interpretation rather than a set criteria. So it's not like you can see that it's, I don't know, got bacteria and it's placentitis. It's a lot more um, subjective than that at the moment. So hopefully that's something we'll define better. What, 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 <laughs> just just for, for example, what are the criteria to say that it's having medical cord So at the moment we sort of we talk about um, increased cord length is sort of is it a risk factor or is it something that you see with cord torsions? But usually they do have, they're at the higher end of the reference range of cord lengths. So I think cord lengths are between 36 and 40, 84 centimetres, sorry. Whereas, so these ones are usually 84 centimetres plus, so they're longer cords. Um, if you see them sort of when they're bought, a lot of the times they have excessive twisting within them. So I think sort of anything greater than five, we sort of say is excessive. And you'll see very definitive bands of like hemorrhage and congestion and um, within the cord and then like areas of blanching. Um, but when you see that is like there's different sort of degrees of it, I guess, like um, severity. Um, a lot of the time on the um, histological examination, you'll see mineralization within the um, coriander, so like the placenta sort of itself. Um, and so that's one of the signs that we're sort of thinking maybe may something that we can use as a criteria. But at the moment, it's sort of putting together all of the cases and sort of seeing what fits with all of them and what we're seeing consistently. And also, I guess, conversely, that what the things that we're seeing in those that we're not seeing elsewhere. So it's um, it's a difficult one because it's sort of we're trying to diagnose it using criteria, using cases that have been diagnosed by a pathologist, but then we need to create our own definition. So it's kind of. A difficult, difficult mix. And are there other species that, that have this issue as well? So, in humans, they talk about umbilical cord accidents. So these are more sort of um, knots and like umbilical cord knots where they actually literally tie themselves in a knot, mm. um, the cord itself, um, or they have sort of long cords. They they talk about so like excessive length. So it's quite similar to the equine work. Um, they found sort of risk factors for that. Uh, mare parity um not mare human parity i think they said it's like greater than 10 pregnancies um so it's quite quite sort of an extreme example and that male fetuses tend to have longer cords than female fetuses so we're sort of seeing some of the similar aspects of it and i guess the knots would cause vascular compromise which is one of the things we think which leads to um, the death of the fetus but we don't necessarily see the excessive twisting exactly sort of relatable but <laughs> and, and you say you're looking at epidemiological factors mm-hmm. to, to um, and you're using new market. I imagine it's a, mm-hmm. a number of, of uh, larger um, studs there, yes. right? So are, are you um, in collaborating with, say, Australasia or, or uh, South Africa? Or no, other... so not at the moment. So at the moment, we're just focused on um, new market. So we've got in the sort of the surrounding area, I think we've got some Suffolk and some Hertfordshire and stuff. But um, because that's a really sort of well-defined population and we've already got a database of pregnancies set up for over two breeding seasons of about 2,200 pregnancies sort of there. So we've got that as a building block to work on moving forwards. And um, there's two there's two diagnostic labs that we can use, so it's actually a really nice sort of um, defined population. Um, at a later date, we might try and sort of use connections that I've got through the states. Sort of, I worked on one stud for a year, so whether we can use them to sort of measure the cord lengths at term of like just normal fetuses and see whether there is a difference in cord lengths and that sort of thing. But I think that would be where we would sort of find the collaboration is in um, Kentucky um, rather than sort of southern hemisphere. But hopefully. We shall see how it develops, how much sort of data we get at an early stage. And so do you have any, any theories of whether it's either going to be more sort of genetic or, <laughs> or, or, or physical or, or, or a bit of bad luck or both? I, I think at the moment it's a lot of bad luck. 
um, it's a very sort of incidental finding. We've um, they've done some clinical work looking at sort of scanning um, and using Doppler for sort of blood flow through the cords and stuff, but haven't um, I haven't sort of seen the results of that yet. Um, so at the moment, the studs and the vets seem to sort of view it as a bad luck type thing. I think what for us it will be a case of looking at the risk factors involved and seeing how we can reduce a mare's risk of having one rather than stopping one completely or having any sort of intervention which could sort of stop them happening um they have there has been sort of research from i think it was like 1975 talking about how there's a significant um stallion effect so whether the stallion or anything but i don't i think it will be a i don't think it will be any sort of singular genetic trait i think it will be a mix of a multi like a, a number of things so i think rather than saying this mare is or isn't at risk and this one is or isn't it will be a um this sort of um mating so this stallion with this mare or anything like that but there's a lot of research for us to do before we can sort of reach that point. I think it's going to be a lot more looking at the risk factors in the mare herself and sort of management and stuff like that that we can um, do. But it's a difficult one because it, it, a lot of the time they just abort and they've they've got a cord torsion and the cord torsion is the diagnosis of sort of why they aborted. But we haven't yet been able to find a way of diagnosing them earlier and stopping them. So while we can say, oh, yeah, she was at risk and, oh, yeah, she's now aborted, I'd love to be able to find a way of stopping it completely but it's how do we do that at the moment is the, is the uh, question <laughs> absolutely very 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 difficult indeed um you, you mentioned before like a couple of people that you've done sort of research with have, have, have they um do you think mentored you or or not pushed you in a certain direction <laughs> but but encouraged you to to think about asking questions and yeah and, and doing research yeah definitely. i think so when i was in um Kentucky when I went I went first I went actually just as an intern um not as an intern as a student um during my EMS and I went for sort of three weeks and I'm not gonna lie like I booked it sort of in third year and then when it came around I was really tired and I didn't particularly want to go and I was like oh it's gonna be awful and then I I loved it like I I had the best three weeks ever and I came back and I was like this is what I want to do I want to apply to do a internship there and um one of the people I spent a lot of time with there was um, Mariah Schnobrick, who I um, did some research with later on. And um, I think she, she always tells a story that, like, when I was a student, we, um, were, we'd collected a stallion and we were doing dilution factors. And um, she, like, um, gave me, like, a practice one. She was like, oh, work out, like, what you would dilute it to and blah, blah, blah. And so she did, and I, like, I struggled really bad with it. Like, I could not get, figure it out. It took me, like, half an hour. And then I finally, like, she helped me loads get it. And then I finally worked it out. And so I did that, and she was like, oh, good. And then I was like, oh, can you do another one? Because like, cause I hadn't got it straight in my mind. And she like laughed hysterically and thought that... She was like, I've never known anyone sort of enjoy that. And I was like so frustrated that I hadn't been able to find the answer myself and sort of work it through. Um, and so from that, she then said, oh, like, you'd be great. You've got, like, for this internship, I think you'd really enjoy it, sort of. And from that sort of the inquisitive side of, like, asking further questions and stuff. Um, and so then when I was there... Um, during my internship year she was like why don't we do some research like you've got if you've got some time I think it'd be really great and so I did some the research sort of with her so we looked at um, sperm filters as a way of um, uh, taking out I can't remember it now (laughs) it's so long ago we looked at um, sperm filters um, when for artificial insemination of mares <laughs> um, and and that's more, more like that theriogenology yeah. sort of push moving on from like the the locomotion. Yeah. Um, and uh, and and I suppose who, but what is it necessarily about the the research aspect that you you think you enjoy or you or you do enjoy? I really enjoy, um, like looking into. 
I'm not, not sure the eloquent way to say it, but looking into things in detail and understanding sort of the whys and the how something happens. And I think that's sort of, that's how I learn is I need to, I'm not very good at just taking something for granted. If someone's like, oh, two plus two is four, I, I can't, like, I like to be able to be like, well, no, why? Like, how do you get to that? So I'm not, I can't sort of write, wrote, learn things. What's the phrase? Like, I can't learn something just because that's how it is. I need to. Just because you're told. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. I've really struggled to accept that. And like, I guess it's like an argumentative side of it or something. But so I really, I like to understand why. And also, I guess, ask like, ask the weirder questions, maybe. I can't think of an example, but like, if this is makes, I can't think of a good example, but sort of if one thing makes leads to another thing, like, and it leads because of this thing, then if we blocked this pathway, would it still, like, how would it do it? Or that's not a very good example, but that sort of thing. So I enjoy that. And I think that's one of the things that I found in clinical practice was lacking, is lacking the time to do, like, have that thought process. So because there's sort of the time pressures and you, you're standing there in front of the client, you need to do it, like, you need to fix it or find the problem or something. Um, I enjoyed sort of having the extra time to sort of think it through and sort of be more, I guess, inquisitive about it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And do, do you think are there certain sort of challenges do you think we're doing research at the at the moment, or or not? At, at, <laughs> at, at I wouldn't say at, you know where you are. Yeah, I, suppose, you know? I think that's. I'm. I guess I'm very. There probably is. I guess I'm quite naive to it because I've been given. I like. Um, the PhD that I applied for already had a title and a very well um, thought out plan of how it was um, sort of going to be carried out. So I haven't had to sort of do any of the, I guess, looking for funding or getting um, grants approved and stuff like that. I think that's probably where the challenges are. I haven't, I've been fortunate that I haven't had to come across that, but I think that's probably where the majority of challenges. Um, for me, I guess, I don't really know what my um, challenges are at the moment. I guess if, there's a lot more um, figuring, uh, like working out a story. So at the moment I'm um, writing my like first year appraisal report and um, I've been um, reading through some papers that um, Mandy's published um, and so sort of reading through the whole thing. And I, I guess I never really appreciated um, how writing a good paper requires you to like tell a story throughout it and so although I can sort of go and read lots and know all these different details is actually putting that together into a story that's enjoyable to read almost I know like research isn't a story but like <laughs> it's like facts and stuff but I think putting something together in being able to assimilate information into a um, enjoyable and se sensible way Definitely, people that put uh, absolutely. I mean, people put slants on things as well, and mm -hmm. even though there's data there, there's there's ways to interpret it yeah. and and things that are focused on or not. So, mm -hmm. so no, no, absolutely. Like, it, and there's a lot of readability about yeah. publications, which I suppose <laughs> is probably, you know, that why uh, I don't know, New England Journal of Medicine or Nature are well read well, by yeah. by a number of a, a number of different exactly. different my, people. Um, my sister did a, um, a, a English literature PhD. Um, and masters and she was always going on about how she had to figure out what her story was and what she was telling and I was like what are you going on about like just write it but now I can definitely appreciate that so I should probably apologize to her for that. <laughs> but well, maybe you can tell her to listen to this and she can no, I won't give her the satisfaction <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair enough um so what, what do you what do you think Jess you might be doing if you're if you weren't currently doing a doing a PhD I would probably be um 
I'd probably get uh, told off this, but I'd probably be single and in America working in clinical practice. (laughs) (laughs) I I like, I loved my job in the States and I really thoroughly enjoyed it. I think um, I I love equine um, medicine and I, I worked, so I did my internship and then I went back out there for another year um, and sort of worked another breeding season where I lived on one of the studs and I um, I love that side of it. Um, so I think I'd probably be doing that, but that wouldn't be a choice I would make. So. And and in and say in, in oh no, I know it's, it's, this is not an interview at all, but but like in in five years, you, do you think you would still be ideally? On, on a research path maybe doing a postdoc or do you think maybe you'll be more clinically based or thinking about trying to you know marry those two, two yeah. up together I think um for me I've I've enjoyed the I don't like again approach I've enjoyed the PhD a lot more than I thought I would like I was like oh I think that'd be a great way to spend four years I think it's a really interesting project and like that's something that I'd love to find out more about and um that, but I've really enjoyed a lot more aspects of it than I thought and so I think I'm going to continue hopefully use my next three years to continue exploring sort of different avenues of research and find sort of which area I want to follow more so in that respect I think I can definitely I definitely would like to stay in research whether it be sort of postdoc most likely um but that would be my hope <laughs> and and uh and can you give maybe advice to, I, you, you've had I, I suppose um uh, a career that's definitely focused on clinical mm-hmm. stuff initially and then sort of research but what what advice would you give to people who are interested in in research who are like a, a an undergraduate whether, mm-hmm. whether veterinary or, or, or not but um, what advice would you give about i would say oh, it's a difficult one i would say definitely i guess i don't know what other vet schools like but the rbc i'd definitely take um advantage of the rp2 project because i think it's a project that you can I guess do it on different levels so you can either sort of get through your work get your research project done hand it in or you can really um sort of take responsibility for it and really make it your own and like my project um Renata sort of pushed me to publish it and something which I really appreciate doing because like even just going through that whole process of yes I've got my um project written now you need to change it into an article and something like that so I think getting experience in that sort of um that area of research like like getting as much experience in different areas as you can in order to find out if it's for you or not but you certainly uh have taken advantage of of every situation i think that 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 uh shines through right you you took advantage Mm -hmm. of the rp2 projects or the the the, uh the the projects we get uh undergraduates to do and Mm -hmm. and then you know gone from gone from strength to strength i suppose it's taking advantage of the opportunities Definitely, that you're yeah. that you're handed as 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 well um is there is, obviously you're coming back to the rbc and i know there's other reasons why, why you've come mm-hmm. back but is there is there something you enjoy about being at the rbc like compared to say other other places that you've been to um definitely yeah like i haven't obviously had experience in other um like universities and stuff i've sort of came straight to the rbc as an undergrad and then sort of went through um graduated i didn't see myself coming back um when i graduated but I'm when this PhD came up, I <laughs> I can't th- like I really enjoyed being here. I had no negative thoughts about coming back, if that makes sense. Like there was no reason not to come back. That's really bad. Well, that's good. That's good. No, no, nothing bad is is, is, is always. But good. I think like I really enjoyed it. Like it's a it's a really nice large like group of people, but at the same time, there's a really good sense of community. So although there's a lot of people here with um doing different um i guess 
different things, which is nice because then this isn't very eloquently put, but there's always someone that you can ask about something because there's so such variation in the type of people and the research and the clinical work that's being done here that there's an expert in everything basically. Um, but yet you still have a really nice community feeling that people know you, like you, um, people are sort of looking out for you. So I enjoyed that it's got, I feel they've done a very good job of having the expertise and the breadth whilst also keeping a good sense of community. Does that sound right? No, that sounds great. Um, And uh, I've asked uh, a a number of uh, different people uh, this, so to to throw it out there, but but Mm -hmm. I suppose like in in the, um, uh, obviously like mental health awareness is is always like incredibly important for our profession and other professions. But I was just wondering um, if you would share if there's something that you do either daily or weekly that uh, makes sure that you're okay. I like to eat and cook. I find I really enjoy eating and cooking. And um, so I think that's something for me that I need to... um, I like to have my evenings and I like to cook meals. And that's like a way of relaxing and chilling out. Um, I do find that sometimes I need to have time by myself. So I think just knowing knowing yourself and knowing what, what you need to have as a break. So like what you need to be able to treat yourself and to be able to look after yourself is really important. Is, is that something you carry through from you, you realised as a as an undergraduate, or is that is that something you've learnt? I probably learnt it during my internships. I think when I started, I said to them, "I was like, I don't mind doing as long hours as you want. I was like, as long as I'm well fed, I'm happy." So, <laughs> so they learnt that very quickly. If we were busy, they'd we'd go out for pizza or something like that. So it was nice. No. Well, thank you, thank you very much, Seth, for your, your time today, and and, uh, and good luck with everything. And maybe we will uh, catch up in a few years' time and, and work out how it how it's all going. Exactly. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you again for for listening. So don't forget to hit that subscribe button on your generic fruit based device, and that way you don't even have to worry about missing a podcast. If you could leave us a five star review on Apple Podcast or Acast, that would be great. Don't forget to tell your friends, vet friends, or even if you're you're interested uh, or you think people might be interested interested in what we're what we're having a chat about so if there's any show notes or um, we'll put them in the rvc pages so just type in rvc research podcast in your search engine and it should be top of the tree if you have any comments or suggestions for this podcast then please do get in touch so you can either email me dbarfield at rvc.ac.uk or you can tweet at dombarfield until next time bye bye